Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. Today we are going to look at the readings for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. And if you would like to listen to those, you can hear them on the reading podcast that was dropped yesterday. So specifically, we're going to look at the gospel lesson, St. Mark, the fifth chapter. And we have Jesus doing two healings. And the second one is more than a healing, it's a resurrection. Yes. But two huge events And they're really interesting. They go hand in hand, and they're completely different. And so you have Jesus walking in a crowd, and they just crossed the sea to the other side. And we hear that uh, Jairus comes to Jesus and says, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And this is really interesting because— Jarius is somebody of known, mm-hmm. and he's coming to the only guy who can do something. So he's a synagogue leader. Yeah. So he's a religious leader, but not like a priest. Right. So you got to remember at the time, you've got two kind of big religious places going on. The temple, and there's only one of those. That's, that's the big thing that yep. happens once a year. And- mm-hmm. But then locally, and this is only about 100 or 200 years old by this point, these synagogues have started to pop up, kind of local congregational right. gatherings, and there's lots of reading of scripture. Honestly, the early church modeled some of their stuff mm-hmm. after what the, the synagogues were doing, because that made a lot more sense than going the, the temple, yeah. especially because the temple had been abolished by Christ. Uh, and so, yeah, they went with what they knew, which was a lot of synagogue stuff. So this guy is is a religious leader, and he comes to Jesus, and his statement is interesting. He says, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. That's a huge statement of faith. Yeah, And we only see this from a couple of people in the Gospels who make such a definitive uh, statement of sureness that Jesus brings what they need. Well, let me push on this just a little bit. I I don't want to impinge uh, impinge faith. Is it, this man is known to heal. My daughter is sick. What do I have to lose? Yeah. And I mean, he's in a desperate situation. Right. You know, his 12-year-old daughter is, is dying and he knows that. Right. But I also think, actually, given his background, it's more than that. I think given his background, he doesn't seem to me like someone likely to fall into like superstition mm-hmm. or likely to fall into, let's just stick something at the wall, you know, and see what sticks. It doesn't seem to me like that's what he's doing. I think this is probably a synagogue leader that Jesus has interacted with in his because he used to go and, and teach in the synagogues, right. especially in his early ministry. That's a lot of what he would do is he would go to synagogues. So I think this is someone Jesus has interacted with, and this is a little bit of supposition by me, but I don't think it's purely the actions of a desperate father. 
Okay. And feel free to push back on me. No, I, I would go with that. Uh, having three 12-year-olds, you know, immediately <laughs> I think of what would I not do. Right. But I also would be smart about this. Where could I go? What could I do? Like you're not going to go to a fortune teller. Right. If your yeah. your triplets are sick. Right. And so I, I really agree with you that there is some interaction, knowledge, and above all, faith. I think maybe more like this. If your triplets were sick— I imagine you driving out to like the Mayo Clinic to get right. them like the best treatment. Right. It's not that you're grabbing random people off the street. You want the best for your kids. Yeah. And I think maybe this is, that's more what this is kind of like. Well, now I'll push a little bit on this that, you know, again, how well is Jesus established known, um, especially if he's a synagogue leader? You know, he's getting uh, the Pharisees bad mouthing him. Mm-hmm. You got the rumors. Right. Jesus is not famous as much as he's infamous. But now, with that, with all that being said, he's healed people. Yes. And I like what you said. Maybe there's some interactions. Maybe this man, uh, everybody's actually known one way or another, just right. interactions. And is he going to the best? I don't think he knows that. But I do think that he knows something can really actually be done. Yes. And and I, the reason I go there, come and lay your hands. It's not come and heal her, come and do this. He doesn't give any details. And Well, he and does so, say, come and lay your hands, right. she will be well and live. Right. Which is a huge statement because he knows she's dying. Yeah. He's probably gone to the doctors already, and they've given him the prognosis. Like, things are not looking good. Right. And, and that's what I mean by, by the details. It's not the, do this, here's this ritual, here's this thing. Right. We're going to go through this ceremony, we're going to pray this and do this. It's on your hands you take care of it. Literally, lay your hands, take her, yeah. and she will be made well. She will live. Yeah, he doesn't tell Jesus what to do. He doesn't tell him how to do it. Right. He just says, I know you're the guy. I don't know what else we need, but I know we need you. Right. And I, I, I like that imagery and, and that idea. So he says, yes. And I love this. And a great crowd shows up. Yeah, you just said he wasn't popular. Right. But he's popular enough Infants. that, you know, people are very interested. Right. He's kind of getting mobbed. Yes. And that's a problem because right. he's got somewhere to be. Well, he's done these amazing things, and people want to see this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why, you know, he's not famous. He's infamous. What is he going to do next? Right. I want to see this miracle worker. I want to see this healer. Um, you know, the connecting of the dots to the Messiah is not very strong yet. But so, he's a mover and a shaker. Right. Something's happening. Right. And it's going to be interesting. And the great crowd shows up, and now he has to rescue this girl by putting his hands on her and healing her, and a great crowd shows up, and he has to walk through. Mm-hmm. And as he's walking through, something happens, because something always happens when you're in a rush. You hit every red light, the yep. slow-moving car, truck in front of you, and as he's walking we have this nice lady who's been bleeding for 12 years. And we don't know exactly what her illness is. Right. But I'm guessing anything that makes you bleed for 12 years is not good. No, that that cannot be good. She's, you know, hemorrhaging blood. It's it probably going to kill her eventually. And, and yeah, and to what extent does she have strength, health? You know, does it fluctuate? Nobody knows. But, I, and I like what you said, and not to overgeneralize, this is not good. But she did go to the Mayo Clinic. Yeah. She went to all the doctors. Right. She spent all of her money. Right. And they couldn't do anything for her. And I, I like what she says, and I think it's interesting. Uh, 
uh, this is verse 28, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. Yeah. And so Jesus is in a crowd, and what happens in a crowd? You're jostled, you're touched, people are all around you. And this woman stretches out her hand and touches the corner of his garment, and immediately she was healed. And he turns around and makes this announcement, who touched my garments? Now, before the podcast, I I mentioned to Vicar, I have a hard time seeing Jesus Mm -hmm. doing this. And what I mean by that is I I can't see his facial expressions. Right. I can't hear his voice. Is it the angry voice, who touched me? You know, is he, you know, the annoying, I got places to go. I have a mission. Somebody is counting on me. Who touched me? Or does he stop? Who touched me? Well, the invitation, you know, kind of. Right. Well, the interesting thing is, how must the disciples have heard have heard this? Who touched you? Yeah. Jesus, you're being touched by like hundreds of people. You're in the middle of a crowd. Yeah, come on, let's go. We got a place uh, look, to go. Why are you asking this question? Who touched you? Like five Billy Bob and Joes touched you along <laughs> the way. You know, people yeah. are trying to get close to you. They're mobbing you. Well, right. what what kind of question is that? Yeah, I, and I think it's interesting, and because also with that, Jesus is God. He's omniscient. Doesn't he know who touched him? Doesn't he know all the Billy and Bobs? (laughs) Well, and this is a real thing that comes up actually a lot in Mark. Yeah. Is uh, what exactly does Jesus know and what does he do with that knowledge? Because he doesn't always act in the way that we would expect him to. Mm -hmm. Because we know, because we know the end of the story, we know that he is both God and man. And we know that God is able to know all things. But Jesus doesn't always act in such a way where he rubs his all-knowingness in your <laughs> yeah. face. Yeah. Sometimes he makes interesting choices, surprising choices. And I think this is one of them. This is one of those cases where he really does make a surprising choice. And he asks this question, who touched me? Well, and I think the question is even bigger than that. He has somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. Somebody's life is dependent upon him making it to the house. Yes. And he stops to ask an absurd question. In the middle of a crowd, who touched me? I think that needs to be mentioned because we'll talk a little right. bit about that later too. And he's he asked this question, it says, because he noticed that his power had gone out from him. In other words, uh, Jesus had just healed someone. Right. And he notices that he's just healed someone. Yeah. So, and, and none of the other Billy Bow and Joes got healed right. from touching. Everybody else touching him. Just, just this woman. And he turns, and I think he pretty much immediately finds her. Do you think he looked at her and who touched me? I don't know if he quite looked her in the eyes when he said that, but it does say that he looked around to see who'd done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So I think even if like he wasn't staring at her, I think she felt that. Mm-hmm. Because like, she, why wouldn't she just slink away? Right. I mean, she got what she came for. Right. This has got to be a really awkward situation. This has got to be very uncomfortable. And so I think she she feels that question directed at her, mm-hmm. even if it isn't necessarily actually that pointed. And she comes and she says, basically, like, it's me. I did this. And maybe she's expecting to get reprimanded because well, she took this without asking, right? Right. And, and that, that's quite what I was kind of going with, you know, who touched my garment? Mm-hmm. And then she comes and says... I did. 
and then told him the whole truth. Well, uh, maybe Jesus is going to, you know, revoke the healing now well, from her perspective. Like, yeah. Maybe she's in trouble. Right. Then maybe this is actually something that takes a lot of courage to do. And um, Brandon Johnson, in his sermon, uh, I really like what he said at one time. Um, God turns the logical consequences around. Mm. So, who touched my garments? I did. I'm sorry. And his response Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is contrary to what it sounds like is about to happen. The accusation, who touched my garments? Feeling the power go out, who did this? Or who did this? So I can tell you the extent of what has happened. Well, and this is interesting because the fact that the fact is, Jesus is delayed by this. Right. Oh, absolutely. He's got somewhere very important to be. Jairus's daughter is dying. That's an urgent, urgent concern. And he's just been delayed. And instead of getting road rage, <laughs> he decides to instead give her the gospel. Mm -hmm. he, inst he instead directs her attention to the faith that has healed her, mm -hmm. her trust in him. Well, and I want to push on that one just a little bit, because at the beginning of this part of the story, if I just touch his garment, mm -hmm. and was her faith, absolutely, Jesus is the one who's going to heal. Right. If I touch, if I just do this, well, and this, this will be enough. And this reminds me of some of the, like, some of the relics mm -hmm. uh, within, like, the Catholic Church even. Right. Where it's kind of like, oh, if we had the the nails of Jesus' cross, imagine what they could do. And there's, like, 500 churches that have the nails of Jesus' right. cross yeah. or something. Um, or, like, the garments of, of saints. And there's the idea that, like, this thing must have been imbued with, right. with power. Yeah. And I don't know if that's fully her mindset coming in. Mm -hmm. But... Jesus makes sure that's definitely not the mindset she has when she leaves. Right. And I, I like the idea that he redirects her faith. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe her faith was so big that if I just do this, yeah. just this little thing. And he's like, no, you don't get the little bit of my garment. You get me. Yeah. And you get what I have to offer. You don't get the scraps. You get the whole thing. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to address you. We didn't talk about this earlier. But if she really was bleeding, I think— within Jewish culture, that would have made her ritually impure, ritually oh, unclean. Yeah. And Jesus, by all rights, shouldn't have interacted with her. Yeah. But Jesus addresses her to tell her good news, to talk to her personally. Mm -hmm. And that, too, is kind of a reversal of what we might expect here. Well, and I like that because not only is it a reversal— but she's restored to her house. She's restored to her community. She actually gets to be a participant instead of literally lying there bleeding, mm -hmm. whatever that would cause, What you know, the awkwardness, the uncleanliness, and the frustrations with that. So he's delayed. He gives the gospel to this woman, and she goes away. I can't imagine how uh, she goes away, not only healed, but the rejoicing. And then the story co continues. Well, it says, while they were talking, yeah. there came from the ruler's house, and that's Jarius, someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I really love this statement. Um, again, you brought this out before we recorded. This is a statement of despair. Mm -hmm. 
there is no hope in this. Yeah. It's not mean. It's not bad. It's not diminishing Jesus at all. It's what good can he do now? Let him go. There's nothing he can do. The healer can't heal death. Yeah. And now, logically, that makes sense. I can heal your illness. Death is something different. Well, and this makes the woman that he encountered, that makes that a lot more painful. Mm -hmm. Because this delay has cost this 12-year-old girl her life. Do you think she made the connection? I, I think Jarius did. Yeah. I, I think Jarius, who was with Jesus at the time, I think, because like, you ever been in a rush with someone who's not at all in a rush? Yes. Like you want to get out the door, but they are just taking their sweet time, you know, mm -hmm. getting ready or, you know, getting all of your things. And they're like, we're late. We're late. We got to go. We got to go. And they're just like, oh, we'll get there when we get there. Yes. That is the most stressful thing. Right. And that's how I imagine Jerry is like the whole time, like, come on, come on, come on, Jesus. Yeah. We got to go. We got to go. And then he stops and he talks to someone. Come on. We got to hurry. And then it's too late. We didn't make it. We didn't make it in time. Well, that's a despair statement. Why trouble the teacher any further? Yeah. It's over. Yeah. It's the end of the story. And we know it's not. Um, I, I love Jesus, but overhearing, he said, do not fear, only believe. So Jesus, once again, redirects things to faith. Right. Uh, just like he did with the woman. He, he redirects this to trust in him. It's kind of like he's saying, look, you came to me for a reason, right? You came to me because you trusted in what I can do. Don't be afraid. Believe. Trust in me. Right. Keep trusting in me. Yeah. Even in the midst of this despair, even in the midst of it seeming like there's nothing more I can do, believe. And this is not that generic, like, Polar Express, believe, stamped into the ticket kind of believe. This is trust in what I have promised you. Trust in what you said to me when you first came. You said if I came and if I laid my hands on her, she would be made well and live. And I said yes. And I said yes. I No, I, I absolutely love it. And again, I can see Jesus talking on this one. I, I think it is a very powerful voice, but directed Mm -hmm. and a lot of comfort, not loud, not, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of it, it's fine. Do not fear, recognizing the situation, but pulling them out of that immediate hopeless despair. Yeah. Do not fear, only believe. And Which, I like what you said, in what we agreed would happen. I said yes to what you, you asked for. I didn't say, oh, I'll try, or, oh, let me say some nice things. I said yes. Which, to be clear, is going to backfire majorly if he doesn't deliver here. Right. Uh, because there was no hope, and now you've reintroduced hope. And there's nothing worse than hope twice smashed. Well, no, it gets worse than that, too. Because then they actually go, they end up at the house. Mm -hmm. They came to the house. And he brings only Peter, James, and John. Yeah. I'm curious about this, just in practical. He's in the crowd, and he doesn't let anybody follow him. And so James and John, and of course, um, Jarius. And, you know, how does he get rid of the crowd? Mm -hmm. That had to delay them more. Oh, probably. But, um, yeah, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. The public mourning has begun. Right. Now, a death of a child is a sad event. There's no two ways about it. But this mourning and weeping public 
people already. This isn't just the immediate family. This is the community. Yes. And it wouldn't surprise me if the professional whalers have already arrived. Word, word has spread. This is not a private family matter right. anymore. The entire community is feeling this loss, as any community sure. does. Yeah. When a child dies, there's right. nothing more tragic than that. And the synagogue community, I think, feels mm. this. Right. Yeah. And the members of the household, and yeah, probably professional mourners as well, which is weird for us because we don't have those. Right. Uh, but I, the idea really is, imagine having the weight of expressing emotion taken off your shoulders at this terrible, terrible time. What if you really could kind of outsource? Yeah. And this is not so that you don't feel it. It's more so that like, these emotions can be expressed, but the pressure is not on me right. to express them. And like, there's there's something to that. Oh, I'd agree. Uh, I like how Jesus addresses it. Uh, when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And going back to your statement, he's reinducing hope to a hopeless situation. Right, which is... Not a good thing to do. No, this is offensive. Yes, this is very offensive. Um, I think sans the gospel, mm. this would make me want to punch someone in the face. If my child had died, oh, yeah. if my child had died and someone said, they're not dead, they're just sleeping, okay. I would have said, this is not the time. Right. Now, again, I, I like seeing Jesus. Yeah. How does he say this? How, how, what is his tone? How does he, how do you say something so, I mean, outside I, I of the think, fact that he's God and, but uh, that not, I mean, offensive is not even the yeah. word. I mean, audacity, you know, so on and so forth. Read the room there, Jesus. Oh, yeah. I think he says it matter of factly. Just and maybe that's just Mark because Mark is very yeah, matter of yeah. fact. But I think he just says it as a statement and that almost makes it worse. Okay. Because yeah. if, if he said it as if he was saying a platitude, then it would just be like, oh, you're just saying something weird because people always say something weird when people die. Right. But I think it's the fact that he just says it like, they're not dead. They're just sleeping. Okay. I like, like that. I, that's, I, yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> again, I was trying to figure that one out because – how do you say something like that? But if it's a matter of fact, because then he also backs it up. Mm -hmm. And I, I appreciate right. that. Right. Well, and the people laugh at him yeah. when they say this. And I don't think this is a like, ha ha, funny joke. I think it's more of a, did he really just say that? Yeah, I, I think it's the whole, they don't know what else to do. Yeah. This is an uncomfortable situation. And Jesus has walked in and made it worse. He is the guy that was supposed to be the healer. What business does the doctor have if the patient's already gone? Yep. You should not be here. Let the family mourn. You're just coming in here, giving them hope when the situation's hopeless. Uh, well, send the teacher away. Uh, what? Why trouble the teacher any further? Yeah. Well, he takes the he puts them all outside, and he takes the child's father, mother, and those who were with him uh, to where the child was. Taking the little girl's hand, he says, arise. And I, I again, the voice of Jesus. And, and I liked your statement, matter of fact. Yeah. There's no pomp. There's no circumstance. Because if I, if I was doing it, I would say it as dramatically as possible. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely. Because I, I want the story to be uh, embellished by all mm -hmm. the others, you know. But grabs her hand, arise. Talitha Kumi. Yep. Just straightforward, 
And what I love about this, of course, is it's the power of God himself speaking. Mm -hmm. And whatever God says is, is, yep. and happens, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Again, I'm thinking of my daughters. I, I have no, I can't imagine yeah. sincerely mm -hmm. the depths of despair and hopelessness. And again, the audacity of somebody saying, she's only asleep. I've been around death enough to know what death is and to have somebody do that. And these people, especially during this time, death was an ever-present thing. They know what death is. Right. It wasn't, you know, oh, you know, she's unconscious or she passed out. I'm pretty no sure. They, they know what they, death is. Yeah. And they know what childhood mortality is. Yeah. And for this amazement. And I want to put the amazement back where Jesus puts everything. Mm. In the faith, in the work, in himself. And it's not an arrogant, you know, as you were saying, I do this in the most dramatic way. He, he shows, I told you this is what happened. This is what I said I would do. And this amazement. It's in the word of God that is before you. Yes. And I, I think that's amazing. And we still have this today. We hear this in the words of absolution. We hear this in the words of the Lord's Supper. We hear this preached. What God says is, and it has been spoken to you, you've been healed of your sins. You've been healed of death. And we have life everlasting. And again, not to allegorize and not to have this immediate application that you too can have this. It's already yours. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is just showing what and how. And I love who touched me. You should be touched by God. And this is what the experience that we have in the divine service. And this is the life we have of faith. Well, I think of the divine service and, and both of these events. And I think particularly of the funeral, where within the funeral service, promises of Jesus, much like these words in this story, oh, yeah. are spoken over the body of the loved one. And I want to be very clear. Sans the gospel, there's nothing more offensive than our funeral service. To look death in the eye and say, this is not the end. Mm -hmm. To look the body of a person who has died and say, you will rise. As Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's huge. And it's totally offensive spoken by anyone who can't back it up. And to be clear, we can't back it up. Right, nope. But Jesus can. And that's why we speak these words with his authority, not ours. We speak with the authority of the person who raised Jairus's daughter, who raised Lazarus, who died himself and rose and promised that all who believed in him would have resurrection from death. This is the Jesus that we have. This is who we put our faith in. This is who we believe in. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. 
Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.